There is not a one-size-fits-all solution to leadership. Discover your inspiration to lead by hearing from those who are in the trenches each day, leading themselves and leading others. We will learn about their unique leadership style and identify the shared qualities between those who do it tremendously well. Welcome to the Lead with Empower podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Lead with Empower podcast. I am very excited for our episode this week. We are joined by Mr. Sean Banks. Sean is the general manager of the DC Breeze Ultimate Frisbee team, obviously down in the DC area. We're going to hear a lot about Sean, his journey, a tremendous season by the breeze, by all accounts, maybe a little bit short of, of the, the big goal, but an awesome season and really hear about a, a sport that's been around for a while. Um, but from a, from a professional standpoint is I think maybe starting to find some traction. So Sean, thanks for joining the lead with empower podcast. How are you today? My friend? Hey, Dan, I am doing very well. Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, really excited to be here and, and talk through, you know, our season, how things went. You kind of alluded to it already. It was great, but maybe came up a little short of what we otherwise would have wanted it to be. But excited to be here. And thanks again. Awesome. My pleasure, Sean. My pleasure. And thank you. Coming off of a long season for carving out a few minutes to have a great conversation. So um, this uh, the answer is probably there's not a normal day. But we'll we'll go with it anyway. You've been the GM since 2019. That's correct. Yep. All right. Talk to us a little bit about yeah. What's what's the day to day look like for you, um, and how much does it vary over the course of a year, a season, etc. Yeah. Um, so to answer your question about how much it varies over the course of the season, I would say a ton. Yeah. Um, you actually catch me right now in maybe my most routine state. Um, as we plan for the lead up to a season, you know, there are boxes that we have to check, right? So right now we're um, figuring out what we want to do per every game, you know, in terms of promotions and themes and, and planning for the regular season. But what's most important probably right now um, in the very beginning of the off season is planning for like partnership development, sponsorship development. We just put season tickets on sale like 10 days ago for the 2022 season. Um, so, you know, we have a business to run, I guess yep. is a good way yep. to say it. And, and part of that is revenue coming in. So we're, we're figuring, figuring a lot of that stuff out right now. So that's a lot of outreach. It's a lot of emails. It's a lot of phone calls. Um, and it's a lot of meetings, you know, trying to get everything together, finding prospective partners, finding prospective ticket buyers and bringing them into our circle because once people find out who we are and what we do, they're like, wow, this is so cool. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, it seems like you maybe had that reaction too, where it was like, a lot of people don't know about this. And, but then when they do, it's like, they're so excited to be a part of it. And, <laughs> and we're finding that right now. So my day to day in the off season is very much, you know, eight to six, nine to five. 10 to seven, whenever I get going uh, in the morning, <laughs> uh, like I said, sending a lot of emails, being in a lot of meetings, doing a lot of planning, but then once the season starts, it really varies, Yeah, you know, because I am, I'm currently the only employee of the organization, but I have a, a wonderful volunteer support team. 
And then once the season gets going, you know, I rely pretty heavily on them. You know, where are we going to be and when, you know, when are we getting to the venue to start setting things up? When are we going to the warehouse to inventory our merchandise? So they're during the season, no two days look the same. Yeah. Um, during the off season, however, you find me probably sitting right here at my computer, um, you know, just sketching things out and getting in touch with people. And I think that's probably the best answer to your question, but you're right. It is wildly entertaining day to day. And, uh, we had a fantastic season and excited to talk more about that too. Yeah. Let's, and let's talk a little bit about that. So, um, and we'll, and we'll get into a lot of the, the, the leadership aspect of, the, the position and the changes over the course of a given calendar year. Um, but give everybody a little bit of insight. One, I think into the American ultimate disc league, a professional league for ultimate Frisbee um, there's different divisions. And then obviously um, let's hear a little bit about the breeze season. Cause again, playoff run, nothing, you know, can't, can't complain too much about that. That's a good year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was a great year. Um, so for the American Ultimate Disc League, or the AUDL is how we refer to it, um, the league now includes 22 teams across the U.S. and Canada. So in that sense, I guess you could say we're international. We yeah. are in Toronto, Ottawa, and Montreal, which is really, really cool. And then it is for the 2020 season, prior to the 2020 season, we expanded into Boston. So there were 21 teams uh, for the 2019 season. The league expanded into Boston to make it 2022 for the 2020 season. And what that meant was the divisions were kind of out of balance because we played in the East Division with Canada and New York and Philadelphia. But then we added Boston. So that division went from six teams, I think, to seven. And then the the division out West had like four teams. So it was like all kind of out of whack. So they kind of radically realigned the divisions. Um, We shifted our focus south um, into the newly created Atlantic division with Tampa, Florida, Atlanta, Raleigh, uh, Pittsburgh came over from the Midwest. Philadelphia came down with us from the East. We were really excited about that too, because it was a bunch of new teams, a bunch of really talented teams too. Um, You know, we had played interdivisional matchups with Raleigh in the past and, each of them went to like overtime or double overtime. So now we got to be in a division with them. And it was like really exciting. And then 2020, right? And we never got to play the season as it should have been um, leading into 2021. We were still experiencing a lot of issues with the Canadian border teams coming across. So New York and Boston were, were left without a home um, and got added to our already wide geographical division, right? Because we were going to be one of the northernmost teams in the Atlantic. Yep. And then we added Boston and New York because they didn't have a home otherwise. So it was this eight team super division. Um, we knew it was going to be a sprint, you know, from, from the start to the finish. And we, everyone counted this out. At the beginning of the year, literally, we were picked to finish like fifth out of eight teams in the division. We were going to go five and seven. And, you know, just we didn't have the pieces that we needed and everyone was counting us out. So we go, we start the season in New York. We go, we lose on a buzzer beater by one goal. And this is New York, the super team, right? They haven't lost a game since 2019. We play them all the way up to the buzzer, have this heartbreaker, 
and we had to come home and play the next day in DC against Tampa. And that was kind of a lopsided victory in our favor. So that felt us made us feel a little better at coming off of this really heartbreaking loss. And then we won five games in a row, I think, oh, or wow. four or five games in a row, and then didn't lose again until Atlanta came to town. And that was after we had taken first place in the division. And everyone was like, what is going on? <laughs> like, DC's winning all these games they weren't supposed to win. Uh, we go into Atlanta, who at the time was unbeaten, oh, wow. give them their first loss of the year. And it was just like we were building something really special and we could tell. And we end up finishing the season at 10 and 2. So for everyone who picked us 5 and 7, uh, <laughs> they, they were off the by a little bit. <laughs> yeah, they have the opportunity to listen to this podcast. I want them to know that um, we did that especially for them. Uh, so we finished 10 and 2, first in the division. And uh, we had already beaten the Raleigh Flyers two times during the regular season. And as sports go, it's difficult to beat a team that many times, to sweep a team um, during the regular season. So they they come to town for our home playoff game, first one that we've hosted since 2018. We take an 8-4 to four lead um, by the end of the first quarter, and we're feeling pretty good. Yeah, It's like, this is going pretty well. You know, um, I'm starting to think about, okay, what am I going to post on Twitter? What am I going to post on Facebook when we win? And then they just go on this absolutely ridiculous mistake-free rally. You know, they don't—they didn't throw the disc away the rest of the game, yeah. and that's really difficult to do. And um, you know, because it's so difficult, of course, we along the way are made some mistakes and and weren't as perfect as they were. So they just go on this really really hot run to finish out the game, and we lost by three. And it was a bummer, but um, from every other sense of the season, you know, we set attendance records. We set average attendance wow. records. We set, um, I was just talking to somebody earlier today that I need to do some digging, but I think our home playoff game was one of our biggest crowds in history. And there are these great shots of people just shoulder to shoulder, you know, and it makes you feel really good too because of the 2020 year, right? Yeah. Yep. It's like, Finally, we were experiencing something similar to joy again, right? <laughs> to enjoyment again. Um, so I think that's probably the biggest thing, the biggest win from the 2021 season was we got to enjoy ourselves again. Yep. And even though we fell a little short of going to the final four championship weekend is what we call it. Um, it was still historic and we had a blast and, um, you know, Raleigh is certainly on our list uh, to get some revenge, you know, <laughs> yeah. to, to avenge that loss somehow <laughs> in 2022. But um, all things considered, it was a really, really successful season and it was so much fun and cathartic yeah. after a, a bummer of a 2020. And um, it was just good to be back. And hopefully the, you know, even though again, it ended a little bit earlier than expected, hopefully that's the, uh, a big stepping stone for, for what, you know, some greatness that could take place next season. Yeah. I don't think anyone's going to be counting us out this off season. Like that's they were right. last off season. Well, is that a good thing? I don't know, but uh, that's where we are. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Now for, for someone who's not familiar with it, what, like that, at least for your team, the breeze. What type of crowd are you drawing the families? Is it more of like a college, just not a college? Like what type of crowd do you typically see at a contest? Yeah. So our, our fan base is definitely younger. Yep. Um, so you're thinking 
millennials, and I know it's a bit of a buzzword these days because we're we're 30 now, right? Like millennials are 30, um, but we do pull in the you know the younger generation. We're pulling in Gen Z, um, who are a lot of them are like coming into college now, I think. But it's just like yeah. generally younger. So as even uh, as we go, millennials, Gen Z, the next one that comes along, we'll probably pull them in, and the next one that comes along, we'll pull them in. Um, but then it is a lot of families too. Um, and, you know, I connected with many of them on a personal level this year and just to see like the kids come out and they're having a blast. They got their breeze shirt on and the, the temporary tattoo on their face and they're just having <laughs> so much fun. So families are a huge part of it. The ultimate community, uh, the wider ultimate community. So these are people who play pick up on the weekends or they play the amateur version uh, which isn't to say that it's any uh, lower quality. They just don't yeah. like get paid to play. They pay to play. Um, club Ultimate is what it's called. So it's a lot of Club Ultimate players and then um, Youth Ultimate players as well. So yeah. youth are a huge, huge portion of our fan base. And that's also really important for us because those are our future. They're our future, right? They're going to be playing for our team in five years from now. So if we make fans out of them now, maybe they don't move to Raleigh and play for the Flyers. <laughs> maybe maybe they don't go to uh, college in Minnesota and play for the team up there. Um, but it is. It's, it's young people. It's families. And then youth, ultimate, um, is a big chunk of people coming out to games. And ultimate's been around for <sighs> – a while is it set like the seventies is when yep. you're looking. Yep. And then when did the AUDL form and like, how long has that had been, has it been a professional league for ultimate Frisbee? Cause you know, I, I was introduced to it I, actually through disc golf Frisbee golf was, you know, yeah. um, and, and two, two kind of niche niche sports. Um, and they both have professional leagues. How long has the AUD uh, DL been around and how long has the breeze been around as well? Yeah. Yeah. So the league got started in 2012. Okay. Um, there were eight inaugural teams, many of them in the Midwest area. And then we were one of the first expansion teams in 2013. So the league is coming up on 10 years very soon. That's so crazy. all things considered still so incredibly young, Yeah. right? Like the, the NFL is on Super Bowl, what, like 50 something now. And here we are and haven't hit a decade yet. Yeah. So still very, very young. Um, but you, you also mentioned this in the introduction. We're experiencing a lot of growth right now and, and kind of on an exponential level. Um, but Sticking with, you know, your question, you know, we got started in 2013 um, and that makes us in year nine now. So we're also getting pretty close, year eight, year nine, getting pretty close to a decade as well. Um, and we, there, we're thinking there might be um, more teams to join on the horizon sometime soon. Um, but there, there was a, another professional league. Um, oh, I got okay. started in, I think it started in 2014 and by 2016, um, it was no longer around. Um, but at one time, this is funny too, because I mean, here we are, the, the sport as it exists professionally isn't even 10 years old. And at one time DC had two teams, oh my <laughs> <goodness>. two different <laughs> leagues, which is crazy. 
Um, (laughs) And uh, the team in the other league actually won the championship in like 2016, I think. So they they did something that the Breeze have still yet to do, um, but we're really excited to get our shot again in 2022 that's right that's right well it's great and i I, um for anybody that is is interested in learning more about you know not just ultimate frisbee but ultimate frisbee at the professional level i'll make sure to include um the breezes website and uh in the show notes because right off one you can learn a lot about the dc breeze but you can also write easily navigation uh navigatable from the website you can learn about the league and the other teams and just to see that it's it's not just I think some people look at it, oh, it's a bunch of hippies throwing a plastic, uh, you know, disc around in the backyard. Like this is a legitimate competitive and you can still play recreationally, but this is a legitimate competitive sport, you know, at the professional level, which is pretty cool. Definitely. Um, You mentioned this early on when you were just talking about your role, that you're the only paid employee. That's correct. (laughs) And you, and you've been, it's a, you know, newer franchise. Um, you've been around for, you know, 2019. So we'll call it two years, give or take. I'm sure, you know, for being somebody that helps start a business and involved and is involved in a small business, that's just a little bit over 10 years old. Um, there's, there's a lot of challenges that go into it, a lot of, you know, successes and some struggles and talk a little bit about, you know, just some of the, the leadership challenges you face in one, you're one man show with some volunteers, the hustle and bustle of season. Like there's just a lot that goes into it. Talk a little bit about some of the challenges that you face, Sean. And then if you're able to some of the tactics you implement to help yourself successfully navigate those challenges over the course of a year. Yeah. So in terms of leadership challenges, um, I would say one of the things that I don't, I don't, I don't think I'd say it was difficult. Um, I think just keeping it in the kind of the challenge category when I started was finding my voice, Um, you know, because I I come from a background in professional sports and I had held some leadership roles previously. You know, I uh, used to hire workers for a ticket office. Um, You know, I had interns along the way. But suddenly I found myself kind of thrust into this role, not thrust into, but like I accepted this role uh, where I needed to have a voice as, as someone with the experience and with ideas, but that can be kind of daunting at first, you know, when you join a new organization um, to really believe in your ideas and having the confidence as a leader to say, listen, I've, I've been there. I have these ideas. I think this would go really well, you know, because that is a part of leadership is being able to speak up and have the confidence in your ideas. So while I wasn't directly managing anybody when I first got started or directly leading, you know, I did have to find my voice as a leader based on my prior experiences. So hopefully that makes sense. And, you know, I guess the way, one of the biggest ways to deal with those kinds of things is kind of to let time be part of it, you know, to, to build that trust with the the people who are depending on you and, and counting on you to get things done. So as you go along and you check those boxes and, and projects get completed, 
then it's a little easier to say, you know, no, I think we should do it this way. Or um, I have this idea. I think it'd be really cool if we implemented it. So I know it's not really a strategy per se, but time is definitely a big part of um, what I had to employ at the beginning to work through some of these quote unquote challenges, right? Um, so then into leading into the season, um, my, my style with, Leadership style with volunteers specifically yeah. is, you know, servant leadership, grateful leadership. Um, one of the most important tools I have in my arsenal as a leader of volunteers, of people who have bought into this organization, is thank you, right? Like, and, and I think there are so, so many organizations across industries, right? It's not just sports. It's not just banking. It's not just investing. It's not, a lot of people don't say thank you enough. So I, I do, especially in a scenario where these people are volunteering their time and effort is just to, to be grateful and let them know how much we appreciate it. And I think that does go a long way with, with a lot of different people. So, and then giving them autonomy as well. You know, I, I always try to be in the background as much as possible and uh, allowing them again to have their ideas like like yeah. I found myself when I got started kind of not lacking confidence but I had to build up to a point where I I would say no I don't agree or no I want to do it this way giving people who um again are essentially fans the biggest fans of our organization right yeah. um giving them the the autonomy to say you know I think we should put this here or I think we should do this in the script, or I think I want to try this game, you know, in between uh, or when a timeout happens. And um, I think that goes a long way too. When people feel valued and, you know, I, I've been building my philosophy as a leader for only eight, eight plus years at this yeah. point, you mentioned <laughs> that you've had a business for more than a decade now. But for me, when people feel valued, they're willing to, to do more to advocate for you. And if that means putting in more hours when you need them, that's great. And if that means they're tweeting about how excited they are to volunteer at the game, that's great. Yeah. But um, from a leadership, leadership perspective, I'm always trying to make people feel valued and say thank you. Those are two of my biggest philosophies when it comes to working with people and, and quote unquote managing people as well. That's huge. And and what you brought up right at the start of your answer about like, just finding that confidence and it took time. Like, and when, when we look at leadership, we actually, you know, you have to be able to lead yourself before you can really effectively lead other people. And it sounds like that, that was that battle was, Hey, if I, I'm going to do it now. And then because, you know, two days ago I did it and I, I, it, it was okay. Like, I'm all right. And I'm going to do it again today. And, and yeah. before you know it, you, you're more comfortable speaking up and having your voice and that confidence as a, as a leader. And the second point, the thank you part, it's funny. Uh, Mayor Eric Seidel from down in Oldsmar, Florida was a guest on the podcast, probably a few, few months ago. Um, and he, he said, like, I, you know, what, what advice do you have for aspiring leaders? And he's like, go out and, and join a volunteer organization, because if you can effectively lead volunteers, you're doing something right, because they can, they're free to go whenever they want. And that's, um, you know, I love the idea of thank you and being gracious. And um, 
feel like if everybody said that stuff a little bit more, it'd be a ni- nicer place, you know? <laughs> yeah, it seems like such a little thing, right? It seems like such a tiny little minuscule thing, but it's not, yep. you know, and it, it goes a long, long way. Talk about, and again, I don't, if you're, if you're not involved in this, we can, we can bypass it, but you know, in, if you look at football, the general manager and the head coach are forming the roster and they in good organizations should work really well together. So GM is providing the coach with players that fit the scheme and, and how, how involved are you in team formation? And if you are talk a little bit about like the culture that you look to excite, you know, everybody talks about it. It's a big buzzword, but it is really important in, you know, you know, a team maybe losing the first game, crappy projections against them to be at the bottom of the barrel. Teams with poor culture typically live down to that, and teams with a better culture kind of fight through it and live up to their standard. Um, tell us a little bit about that, Sean, and how, again, the, the dynamic between you and the coaching staff plays out over the course of the year. Yeah, definitely. So that is one thing that I, I had to learn when I got started. You know, I come from a sports business background. Yeah. Um, you know, when I was uh, interviewing for positions previously, most almost exclusively in minor league baseball, the one thing you learn to never say in an interview is I want to be a major league GM. You know, I want to play fantasy baseball, but, you know, for real and get paid to do it. Because as soon as you say that your interviewer will turn you off, if they had the opportunity to end the interview there, they would, because, on a sports business track, you're not really doing a lot of that, right? Mm -hmm. Like in baseball, minor league players get assigned to teams um, by the major league baseball team. So if I'm applying for a minor league team and I say, I want to be an MLB GM, they're like, no, that doesn't work. (laughs) Um, So I I had zero, literally zero experience in that realm. And I remember it was a, it was a few months into the pandemic, I think. So this is like mid 2020. My owners said, we want you to take a more active role. And I was like, whoa, you know, like this is something that I'm going to have to kind of learn and I'm going to have to lean on the people around me to do that. And it was a blast, you know, when you, when you go from nothing to something and you see it visualized and realized on the field. um, So I, the too long don't read answer to your question is yes, I am involved in that now, even though I had never been previously. And I have a tight, tight bond now with our head coach. Yeah. And, um, you know, we work really well together and he knows, you know, there are times when he knows what I'm thinking and there are times when I know what he's thinking. We just, we, we mesh now. And that was also a process getting to that point. Um, but when we were working to build the 2021 roster, it was a lot of the guys who we had signed for 2020 that I didn't really know a lot about at the time. Um, but there were some pieces that we were adding and I was finally finding my way into it and starting to understand, okay, this guy fits here and this person's really good for culture. And this person's really good, uh, when we're talking about team leadership, And if you need somebody supportive on the sideline, we should have this guy. And that was really eye-opening for me. And, you know, I mean, seems like an obvious answer, but team culture is so huge, you know, and um, 
I would say during the 2021 season, team culture helped us win six plus games, hands down. I mean, it's worth a few goals in every single game where everyone just got each other's backs. You know, when you watch the the most successful MLB teams and NHL teams and the NBA and NFL teams, what you notice first is it's like, those guys look like they're just having fun. Yeah. And that is almost 100% team culture. Yeah. And I remember, you know, I'm in charge of our social media uh, and and everything else, but there were multiple <laughs> times throughout the season where we'd win a big game and the AUDL would tweet about it. And then I'd like quote tweet them or share on Facebook and just be like, all we're doing is having fun. We are just out here having fun right now. And that speaks 100% to our team culture and everyone finding their role and knowing uh, what we needed out of them when, and leadership is obviously a huge part of that too. Um, and working with our, one of, I'd say the best, he wasn't named coach of the year this year, but he had a very good shot at it and yeah. is a perennial candidate. But in my view, as the best coach in the league, working with him to find those roles for people is so important. And it does translate outside of sports too. You know, when you're yeah. hiring for any position, when you're building a team, building a culture, you have to understand what roles do you need filled and how do you fill them? And when you find the people that do, make sure uh, you get them on your team. And we had so many of those. And I, I could rattle off all of my favorite uh, memories from this season, just from a team culture perspective, but we'd be here for how much time do we have? We'd be here for uh, a week, maybe. Um, if I ran you through all of my favorite we'd, team we'd culture break, moments. We would break Zoom. Yeah. <laughs> You'd be like, what are you doing? Your, your subscription isn't long enough for this. Oh, um, that, that's a, a great answer and, and happy to hear that even though, you know, prior to this little shift to do more, you, you know, you're doing so much and now you're finding new ways to, you know, to really lead the organization and, and, or co-lead along with the coaching staff and the head coach of the, the organization. Um, and I a hundred percent agree the, the impact culture plays, it's hard to measure, but you, you feel it right. You, you know, it from those feelings. Um, from an athlete standpoint, are, are many of the, do these professional athletes, is this, is this it, is this what they do? Are they you know doing this for a certain, you know, portion of the year and then out working or promoting? Talk a little bit about, I think those challenges for athletes, you know, the athletes that are part of the DC breeze. Yeah, absolutely. And that is a fantastic question. Uh, and then, you know, it's, it's difficult to get that insight unless you're really like, woven into what we're doing or if you've been a fan of the league for a while um because the answer is almost all of our players have quote-unquote day jobs yeah you know we're not unfortunately at the point yet where we can really pay all of them um as if they were uh full-time professional athletes yeah. you know they're not signing bryce harper contract you know, <laughs> not, not yet anyway um but in that way to they lead, you know, and they, they, when they buy in and they're part of the team culture, knowing like I have to go to work on Monday, yeah. right? Like uh, I'm doing this for three months, four months out of the season, but the rest of the time, like I'm working my nine to five or, you know, whatever it is they do for a living. We actually are 
fortunate, I guess is a good way to say it, that we have a couple, um, quote unquote, full-time breeze athletes. You know, they have, they have things that they do on the side. They run like youth ultimate camps or they run programming. They do like skill stuff and, um, do YouTube videos and that kind of stuff and, and make a living on the side that way. Um, but they're, 100% 100% bought in and that's yeah. really cool and we you know it's not that far off for us to be able to have a full team of those people and be able to compensate them fairly um, to have them do that it's I always say three to five years but honestly it could be before that yep. if the league keeps trending the way it's trending and that's one of my biggest priorities too you know when I was you know, one of the first things that I talked about uh, on this podcast was we're in revenue generating season. And one of the biggest, biggest goals of mine is to just make so much money for the organization that we can pay all of our, all of our players. That's my number one priority is to get these guys compensated fairly. And, you know, maybe some of them so fairly that they're like, I don't need that job anymore. You know, like I just want to be breeze full time. Um, But as of right now, we're not quite there yet. They do have day jobs. Um, we have a lot of teachers. We have a good, given where we are um, geographically, we have a good number of like GovCon workers. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, others that do various different things in the area. Um, but it is so, so impressive to me. And I'm, again, so grateful. I have conversations with guys all the time. I'm like, hey, I'm going to write this into your contract. Is this amount of money you know you're good with that and we've talked about it and so many of them will say you know i'm not in this for the money yeah i'm in this because i love it i want to see the league grow or they'll say you know last year i donated my entire check to black lives matter and then it's like i'm not doing this for the money and um i mean i get that right but at the end of the day money puts groceries on the table it puts a roof over your head so of course we want to get to a point where we're also supporting them in that way. And it's tangible. It's real. It's not just like a check that you're going to, you know, put somewhere else, I guess it's it's like, like you're going to be able to put that in your bank account and feel good about it. Um, So we're, we're trending that way again. We're just not quite there yet. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. And that's a, that's a great answer. And again, the, the, the league is in its, you know, infancy, essentially, mm-hmm. um, you know, being, being like, you know, 10 years, not even in, um, what type of turnover is there? Like, as far as, you know, again, you see in professional, you know, uh, the professional football, professional baseball every year, there's the big free agency and guys are, you know, um, you know, changing uniforms. How often does that happen in the AUDL and, you know, and again, going back to that culture question and, you know, yeah. in your job, how do you then, you know, re, you know, put it back together to get that team culture that you're yeah, looking for? I, that's such a fantastic question. And I guess we're also unique. Um, and this is kind of piggybacking off of the, what we just talked about, about how our players are compensated, that they have day jobs, you know, it's still very, our team is still very geographical, right? Because they do, they we need people who are here, right? Yeah. Because they, they do have jobs, you know, it's not, um, I can't ask somebody really to fly in from Utah, you know, <laughs> 25 times a year. 
Um, so we are still very geographical in terms of like which guys switch jerseys, where can they play? So like we'll have conversations with, you know, a player that maybe played for the Philadelphia team last year, you know, Philly is not that far away yeah. or Pittsburgh or, you know, um, we had a, a player from that lived in Raleigh on our roster this past season, which is a four and a half to five hour drive. And that's commitment. And we're, wow. we're grateful for guys like that too. But in terms of turnover, it's less switching jerseys and more like life circumstance. Yeah. So, you know, uh, we'll have a, we'll sign a senior in college, right? Because he's home for the summer and one of the best ultimate players in the world or in the country. But then he gets his dream job uh, in <laughs> Seattle or something, right? So he ends up out there and maybe he puts on a Seattle jersey. Yeah. But he didn't go there to play for the Seattle franchise, right? It, it was life circumstance. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of a specific example. Like there was a guy on the 2020 roster who decided to stay in like Blacksburg, Virginia to research for, you know, either a graduate degree or um, whatever, you know, lab he was working in at the time. And it's like, that's a haul, you yeah. know, to be that far away. And so it's like life circumstance meant that he wasn't going to then play on the 2021 team, even though he was signed for 2020. Um, and my, one of my other big goals leading into the 2022 season is to minimize that because of the team culture that we had yeah. and how many guys that were just so bought in this season that made it as magical as it was. And it's like, let's do it again. Let's run it back. Right. Yeah. Like, it, are you still in the area? Like, let's run it back. Um, and you know, I've, I've said very informally to like friends and family, like I want that player for five years or I want that player for this amount <laughs> of time. Like, cause they were just so good, such valuable parts of our team, such valuable members of the culture um, and it's not unachievable, but, um, I'm going to have to probably do some sweet talking, you know, get, <laughs> get, get some of these guys bought in again. Um, but like I was telling you before, I learned a lot about how to do that and how to be that guy, how to be that leader, how to, um, you know, quell concerns and, and bring somebody back into the fold. So, I am excited for that uh, challenge as well, leading into the 2022 season. Awesome. Awesome. And then the last question, and I was going to try to sneak this in earlier, but um, we'll, we'll sneak it in now. You talked a, lo a lot about the transition from right now, off season business development, you know, try to earn, you know, um, earn commitments from partners. And, and then when the season starts, I'm sure it's like event management, like setting things up, getting volunteers where they have to go, all that good stuff. Uh, you're, it looks like you're working the, the home office right now as, as am I. So is there a, a, a tough transition for you coming out of season to, I'm a, it's gotta be a little bit of a slower pace right now than when you're in the throes of it. Do you, do you find that challenging? And, and again, how do you keep yourself on track to being productive? Cause you do have to be self motivated in, in the role that you're in. Yeah. So I guess, uh, my immediate answer to your question is that I thrive in chaos. I always have, <laughs> <laughs> I always will. Um, when the pressure and the stakes are as high as they can be like, that's when I thrive. That's when I feel really accomplished. And, and that's, you know, I, 
that's times when it's unavoidable. You know, it's not like I'm going out of my way to create chaos for of myself course, or to yeah. create pressure <laughs> for myself. Um, but I actually got my start in pro sports business. Um, I grew up in operations. Okay. I grew up in event management. Um, I and by the later part of my career in baseball, I had also accumulated a good amount of like business development responsibilities or like um, kind of more administrative responsibilities. So I learned then what the transition out of off season into season is and kind of how to deal with that. And I worked for the Pittsburgh Pirates for just over two years at their spring training location. So our off season was always really condensed um, because we also had a minor league baseball season through the yeah. summer. So it's like minor league finishes up and then we start planning spring training and it's like you have three months max to get all of that stuff done. And then the, it just feels like going zero to a hundred, you know, <laughs> in three seconds with spring training. So that really gave me a solid foundation. Once I figured out how to do that, you know, I feel like I can take over the world. I can do anything. Right. <laughs> um, but specifically leading out of, the 2020, 20, uh, 2019 off season into the 2020 off season, it was all the same because we didn't have a season. Yep. That was unique. That was really incredibly unique coming out of this like 600 plus day off season. Uh, you know, I had never seen a real free season in action. Um, and the week leading up to our first game was the most chaotic week of my entire <laughs> career. Um, as I'm, I'm trying to remember, okay, what are all the things that I'm missing? What am I forgetting? Like, and I was at that time, I was probably working like 16 hour days, just yeah. making sure that everything was in order. And then the first game happened, we learned a lot. Second game happened, we learned a lot. But by the third game, like we were cruising. And um, I think that's probably the most unique thing that I can talk about is that lead out of the pandemic off season into a season. Um, I learned a lot. <laughs> I learned yeah. a lot about myself. I learned a lot about the organization and the people around me. And um, that on top of, you know, my prior experiences in baseball and learning how to come out of a, an off season there, I don't knock on wood, but I don't, <laughs> I think I'm, <laughs> the most prepared that I'll maybe ever be um, just oh, yeah. based on how everything has gone. Um, but I, I do, I, I think, understand the question in the frame of um, you're going from one, what seems like one job to one entirely different job, right? Yes. Like I'm almost exclusively administrative right now. Right. And then to suddenly be event management, to suddenly be, I need to be at the warehouse to get the merchandise at this time, to be at the venue at this time, to have everything set up by this time is like two completely different roles. Um, I think had you asked me that question six years ago, I would have been like, it's so challenging, you know, like I, or I don't know what to expect, but like I, I am at a point now where um, I understand it. So I know how to deal with those challenges and I know what needs to get done. 
I don't know if, if that's a lame answer. It might have been, but <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I don't think I it am. is. I don't think it and, it. and again, I think it ties to something you brought up early in the episode, that importance of time and experience. Right. And yeah, if this was six years ago and there was a 700 day layoff before the first event, it would have been like short circuits everywhere. And, um, you know, you, you have a bunch of experience and, and there's a big layoff, but you, you get through it and you minimize the day. I mean, my brother's a high school football coach. He was preparing for their first week one game this fall. Like, God, I haven't coached a game in like two years. Uh, am I forgetting? And so I think everybody goes through that. But, you know, when you have experience and you put in the time, it minimizes how chaos, it's not going to get rid of the chaos completely. It does minimize some of the chaos. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I, minimizing the chaos is the best way that I could have said <laughs> that. <laughs> yeah. Hey, let's. Let's learn about you a little bit, uh, a little bit from, you know, prior to what you're doing right now. Are you from the D.C. area originally? I'm not. I actually grew up uh, just north of Louisville, Kentucky, okay. in a town called Clarksville, Indiana. So right across the Ohio River from Kentucky, you know, Kentucky borders Indiana. Uh, I could be in downtown Louisville in like eight to ten minutes. Oh, wow. Close to the border I was. Um, so, yeah, I'm not I'm not from the D.C. area. Uh we're very much Midwest, even though it's like kind of like souther Midwest, more southern Midwest. Um, so then to move out to the East Coast, and uh, I'll let you uh, and ask the rest of your questions in a minute, but to move out to the East Coast was a bit of a culture shock. Yeah, Everything moves so quickly out here. Everyone's always in such a hurry. And yeah. one of our favorite things, because my <laughs> wife is from Madison, Wisconsin, also very Midwest, one of the first things we had to learn is that when people ask you, how are you? They don't really care. No, it's more like a greeting. It's a it's formality. Like, like yeah, yeah, it's like, <laughs> how are you? Oh, and you say, Hey, how are you? And you go along your way. So like one of the first things that I had to learn was when somebody says, how are you not to be like, Oh, I'm doing really great. You know, the, the job is cool. And, and, and they just look at me like, I, I gotta go. Like what? <laughs> I don't care. Uh, I gotta go. Um, so that's one of our favorite things to talk about. So no, I'm not from here. Is the answer to your question? And and I'm glad because I was going to I was going to get into a little bit like the change from uh, as you're explaining, you know, Kentucky area, the change from there to here um, or DC. What when did your when did you know your interest in sport and like what route did you go as far as like college? Were you in just like sports management undergraduate? Like talk a little bit about, I guess, when did you realize you wanted to do something related to sport? And then what was the track that you took to get to where you're at right now? Yeah, so my story <laughs> is probably one of the most unique that you'll hear. Um, I don't have a sport management degree. I don't have a business degree. I went to the University of Evansville in Evansville, Indiana. So that's southwestern Indiana. I grew up in like southeastish, went two hours west to Evansville um, to be that's the home a. Of, that's the home of Don Mattingly, former uh, New York Yankee great. That's right. Uh, that's right. That's right. Had to sneak yeah. that in there. Big fan. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, so I went to school in Evansville to be a band director or music teacher. Stop it. Um, so I was a trumpet player in high school. I, I, what I realized later in life is I loved playing the trumpet so much because I was good at it. Like if I practiced enough, I was the best at it. And you know, I just liked being the best at something. Yep. You know, I'm, you can't tell on this podcast because you're not uh, seeing the full me, but like, I'm not a very big person. 
Um, I loved playing sports, but I was never going to play in college. I was never going to play a professional sport. I'm just not built that way. Um, but what I found was I was really good at playing the trumpet and I was the best at playing the trumpet where I was. So, um, I decided that I wanted to be a band director, a music teacher. So for two and a half years of college, I was a music education major and I realized like just before junior year, so I had two years in just before junior year, I was like, I don't, I don't know if I really love this. I don't know if this is really what I want to do. Um, and it just so happens that around the same time, I started working a summer job with a traveling youth baseball tournament company. Huh. So they go to different cities and they put on youth baseball tournaments. You know, they book the fields, they make sure the umpires are there. And then, but then they need somebody on site to make sure that there are six games that day that every one of them finishes in two hours so we can stay on schedule, that the umpires show up, um, you know, that if the coaches are yelling at each other, there's somewhere, someone there to mediate things. Um, and I loved it. I had such a blast um, summer of sophomore year and summer of junior year, right? Maybe it was freshman and sophomore year, whatever, um, doing that job. And it, it was then that it clicked. Yeah. I was like, this is me working in sports kind of, but it opened my eyes to the fact that all, all of these minor league baseball teams, these football teams, these soccer teams, somebody's got to run them. And it's like, I don't know anything about that. Let me learn about it. Yeah. And it was at that time that I was like, I could definitely do that. <laughs> like that seems like so much fun. And I, I just, I grew up such a huge fan of baseball that that's what I picked. Yeah. I picked minor league baseball. There are at the time there were 160 teams, lots of opportunities, you know, maybe six jobs at some, maybe 30 at others. Wow. So it's like so many opportunities. And um, by, like I said, junior year, I had decided that music wasn't for me and that I was going to make my way into sports and no one was going to stop me. Um, so what ended up happening is I attended the major league baseball winter meetings Okay. and minor league baseball does a job fair every year at the winter meetings. So I just, you know, I printed off my resume. I drove to Orlando, Florida, and I went to this job fair and culture shock again. I was like, wow, I know nothing. I still know nothing about this, but <laughs> I learned, I learned so much from that experience. Um, that I went again the following year and again the following year. But what ultimately got me my big break, and it's really interesting that we're having this podcast today. So I went to school in Evansville, Indiana. Um, there's a Frontier League baseball team. So it's independent. And they're not affiliated with any major league team. The athletes are pretty similar to our athletes. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just guys who played in college, maybe didn't get the their shot at the next level, but want to keep playing. Um, I guess it's different in a lot of ways too, but anyway, so I, they had internships and I was like, I didn't get anything from the winter meetings that nobody wanted to hire the music education, uh, <laughs> track kid out of, uh, Evansville, Indiana or out of Clarksville, Indiana. Um, so the Evansville Otters had a, an operations internship available and I was like, that sounds like something that I could do. So I, I, again, just. And this seems so old school now, but it's how they did it at the time. Um, they were like, mail us, not email us, mail us your yep. cover letter and resume. And I was like, okay. So I went and bought resume paper, printed off a cover letter, printed off my resume, put it in the mail. 
and then I got a call um, to come in and interview, and um, the internship coordinator at the time, Mike Radomsky, um, I remember walking into that interview and expecting it to be like, you know, pretty standard interview. Like, what's your five-year plan? You know, what, tell me about a time that you had a challenge. Like, what are your strengths and weaknesses? And he starts off with trivia. And that's Come not on. a joke. <laughs> and he was like, uh, what are the three oldest ballparks in the U.S.? And I was like, I don't know. Like, uh, I knew Fenway. I knew Wrigley. And then I, I think I guessed the Dodger Stadium. And he was like, Fenway's right, Wrigley's right, but the other one is Bossy Field, where the Evansville Otters play. And I was like, oh, you trickster. You know, I was like, you trickster. And then he asked me a couple other questions about, like, um, the fact that a league of their own was shot in Bossy Field in Evansville, Indiana. Really? So there, there are the images of where the Racine Bells play are where I worked for the Evansville Otters, which is a really, really fun, fun little tidbit that I can tell people. Um, but the reason I said it's interesting that we're doing this podcast today is because it's the four-year anniversary of Mike um, passing away. He was at the at USF, University of South Florida at the oh, time, geez. was going home late one night and uh, had an unfortunate automobile accident. So I, I wanted to slip in a hashtag rock the planet on this podcast because that was Mike's thing. And um, he was the one who gave me my break. Um, so even after this train wreck of a trivia interview, <laughs> um, he goes at, at the end of it, he was like, we want everyone to submit a video in addition to this interview about why you think you should be an otters intern. And I said, okay, all right, I'll uh, see what I can do. I had never applied for a real job before. Um, I wasn't a sport management major, so I didn't know that this was a thing that people do. So I went, I went back to my townhouse on the University of Evansville's campus and put together this, like, ridiculous video, right? It's like, <laughs> it's like me getting out of bed in the morning and I, uh, without a shirt on, and suddenly I have a shirt on. I'm like, I, uh, what did I say? I was like, I eat, sleep, and breathe baseball, and sleeping was me, like, waking up. Eating was me, like, with a spoon and a bowl full of baseballs. <laughs> breathing was like something else so it was like really ridiculous so I submit this video and then I was like oh let me see what other people have submitted because it was on YouTube and it's all people sitting in front of a camera going I think I think I should be an otters intern because and I was like oh no I was like oh no what did I do I was like I look like such a um fool with this video <laughs> But I, I remember sitting in chemistry class and I got a call um, and I couldn't take it because I was in chemistry class. But then they emailed me and they're like, hey, Sean, give us a call as soon as you can. We want to talk about the position. And I called them and they were like, we were so impressed with this video. That's and it was awesome. Mike. And Mike was like, this is the best video we've ever seen. We want to offer you the position right now. And I was like, all right, well, let me think about it. So I accepted like the next day. But um, if I hadn't had that interview with Mike and hadn't, um, you know, submitted this video that so impressed him, I wouldn't be where I am today. Um, so that's how I got my start is with the Evansville Otters. And then I kind of bounced around from there. Um, I lived in Beloit, Wisconsin the following summer, also minor league baseball internship. Yeah. 
Um, then I moved to the Dominican Republic to complete my Spanish degree, oh, which nice. uh, I told you before, by junior year, I had decided that I didn't want to do music anymore. So I added a Spanish major. I was a minor at the time, made it into a major, completed my music degree too, because then I could say, now I have two degrees. Look how marketable I am. Look how yeah. hard I worked to get two degrees. Um, so then I lived in the Dominican Republic. I interned for the Kansas City Royals there. And then I really got my quote-unquote big break, like the following summer. Um, I mean, I started in the winter. I went to the winter meetings in Nashville in 2015, interviewed with the Pittsburgh Pirates. Um, they had a position open at their spring training location in Bradenton, Florida. Um, they were very impressed by my experience in the DR. Um, a day after I got home from the winter meetings, I had an email of them offering me the position. It was like a nine-month like assistantship, okay. you know, like an internship, but euphemizing it, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I went there and um, did that for you know nine months. But by September, they were like, we want you to stay on one extra month. And they didn't offer this to all of them. There were four interns at the time, and they didn't offer it to all of us. They wanted me to stay on for another month. And then it just so happened that one of the full-time staff members got a similar job in Pittsburgh with the Pirates. So he moved back up north, and they were like, we want you to take this job. And I was like, mm, I was like, I don't know about that. And they literally sat me down and said, you would be a fool to not take this position. So that's when I got my first full-time position in sports was with the Bradenton Marauders and Pittsburgh Pirates spring training. And I loved it. I had such a blast there. Um, and then that's also where my wife and I reconnected because we went to college together, both happened to end up in Florida, reconnected. Um, and one thing led to the next and she moved to the DC area for her dream job. And I said, you got to go. Yeah. And I was like, I'll, I'll be there when I get there. So I had committed to the pirates at the time that I would get them through spring training. And I intended to keep that commitment. And I did, but like, you know, with two weeks left to go in spring training, I was like applying all over the place. I was like, I gotta get, <laughs> I was like, I gotta get to DC. Um, so I ultimately landed here with a ticket sales job with uh, the university of Maryland in their athletic department. Yep. Yeah learned a lot about myself doing that. I had never done, I had never done a strictly ticket sales position and it's a grind. Oh my gosh. It's a grind. Um, is it selling like, like corporate suites, that type of stuff, or is it straight regular we were, game to game tickets? Yeah, we were, um, we were working off of working lists of people who had previously bought tickets. Yep, yep. So these are people, they're not cold calls. They're, they're pretty like, damn close though. <laughs> they're, they're chilly calls a lot of the time. Yep. Um, and our primary goal, at least when I, when you start, your primary goal is to take a former single game ticket buyer and get them into either a mini plan or a full season plan. Um, and again, I had never done strictly that before. So I learned so much about myself and then, um, you know, as a product of circumstance, I happened to be in the general area when the Bowie Bay Sox baseball team decided that they wanted to hire a manager of ticket sales and operations. And it was the next logical step in my career to go from, at the time, to go from ticket seller to ticket sales manager. Yeah. 
Um, so then I did that for a year and I was back in baseball. I was back in my element. I didn't hate working in college sports. It just, it wasn't for me really. Um, and I didn't know a lot about it. You know, I had seven years in minor league baseball and not really any experience in collegiate athletics. So I was back in my element with baseball and I was like, ah, here I am again, back home. And then you know, the baseball grind is an entirely different animal. I talk about like, like making a hundred calls a day as a grind, but like it's nothing compared to 14 hour days. Um, sometimes 12 days in a row, if you yeah. have a 12 game homestand. And then if it finishes on a Sunday, you go to work on Monday. Yeah. So we, there are times that we're working literally 30 plus days in a row. And it's just like, man, I love baseball, but do I love it this much? I was having those thoughts. I was like, do I love it this much? And then the DC breeze wanted to hire a general manager. And I was like, wow. <laughs> and again, it, it was the next logical step in my career progression to go from ticket seller to ticket sales manager to like general manager. And it was this new growing budding league and so much excitement um, within it that I was like, wow, that seems like a really cool opportunity. So I know, I'm sorry. I just talked about that for. No, like, no, no. It's great. Hours, but um, that is how I got where I am today. And um, man, what a ride, what a ride it's been getting here for sure it's it's a great it's a great story and again i, I think it, it it goes to show and this is something we especially when working with some of the younger the middle school high school groups that we do you know team building and leadership programming for like you might be tunnel vision dead set on this is what i'm going to do and you might find out hey it's a perfect fit keep on chasing it down or it's not and if you're not aware of an opportunity here, an opportunity there, you know, working your butt off to make your own opportunity, you're going to end up doing something that you don't love. And it's going to feel like work. And it's going to feel like, you know, it's just every day is a, a complete grind. At least, you know, you went from, I'm going to, I'm going to be music <laughs> and, and, and lead music to doing something that probably wasn't a, a, a speck on the radar, you know, 15, 20 years ago. So it's a, it's a great, it's a great story about the roundabouts that can, uh, that, that can be involved in getting to where you should be getting to. Yeah, definitely. Um, and again, I, uh, seems to be a theme of what I, everything that I've just said is how much I learned along the way. And I think that's also a very important part of leadership, um, to always be learning, to always be seeking knowledge, um, to never be comfortable where you are, uh, you know, I think back to some of my experiences with people who maybe I wouldn't consider the best leaders or maybe they shouldn't have been in that specific leadership role is one of the biggest challenges I think we, we face as a people yeah. is that's the way we've always done it. Yeah. You know, when you fall into this trap of that's the way we've always done it, um, I, I think you got to work harder on that. You, you got to got to get yourself outside of that. And, you know, that's a big part of leadership yep. um, is to always be learning, always be hungry for knowledge and um, willing to change, I guess, <laughs> in, in a lot of ways, you know, that, that does factor into some of the more successful leaders finding their way where they go. 
Oh, without a doubt. And and again, if you listen to Sean's story, you might, oh, he was lucky that he was there. No, you make your luck too, you know, and, yeah. and, and what you put into it is going to open up those opportunities that some might look at as luck, but it wasn't, you know, I'm going to ride this band director thing out until something else falls in my lap. It was a complete freaking opposite. It was, this is what I want to do. I'm going to go chase it down until I get there. And that's, you know, if there's a lesson that's, you know, people need to hear, that's it right there. I love it, Sean. So the long story, powerful points. So you can take <laughs> as much you. time as you want, man. <laughs> um, we're on the, we're on the home stretch right here. And I, and I, I want to, I think we'll wrap it up short and sweet to honor your time. And, and, um, but again, this is Sean Banks. He's the general manager of the DC breeze ultimate Frisbee club, part of the American ultimate disc league, the AUDL. I'm going to be up on the lingo now from here on out. Um, Someone who has, you know, whether it be at the, you know, a student at the high school level or, or someone at the college level who has aspirations of being involved in the management side of sports, what is a bit of advice based on your, your very unique experiences, Sean, that you would share with, with our listeners who might be interested in, in, in chasing down that same dream you had? I love this question. Um, and, you know, I, I get asked it from those people too. You know, I had a group of 12 interns this past spring you know, at various colleges throughout the country. And I think my biggest piece of advice is always talk to as many people in the industry as you possibly can as early as you can. And it can be, you know, uh, daunting, right? It can be scary to send emails out to people and say, hey, would you be willing to talk? But so many of them will. I'd say 90% of professionals in the sports industry, even your VP at Seattle Mariners or the director of operations of the Pittsburgh Pirates, like likely they can make 15, 20, 30 minutes to talk to you, to talk to those of you who um, are aspiring to be in this industry. And everyone's experiences in sports management are always so different. And that's why I say talk to as many of them as you can, because my story is entirely different than, um, you know, my friends at the Pittsburgh Pirates who are still there or my friends um, out West, like I said, with the Mariners that are out there or up in, in Pittsburgh um, and find those people who are willing to talk because they're out there. And the, the 10% who think they're, above talking to you aren't worth talking to anyway. Um, But, you know, I, one of my favorite things is when I get an email from somebody that's like, Hey, I'm a student at Southbury university, or I'm a student at UMBC and I'm interested in getting in sports management. Like, would you be willing to talk? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Like, let me clear out my schedule for you. That's like one of my favorite things to do. Um, And I know that there are so many people exactly like me. So my biggest piece of advice is talk to as many people as you can that are in the industry that have the experience and that are willing to talk. And Sean, man, I, I couldn't, I couldn't ask for a better way for you to wrap this episode up because you started talking about the, the level one leadership of self challenges of, of being able to find your voice with confidence. And, you know, then you got into the, 
the leadership of others, which was, you know, and again, I think that collaboration with the, with the coaching staff, the ability to lead volunteer interns and, and we're wrapping it up with um, that, that leadership legacy. Like, what are you going to do right now? That's going to have an impact on somebody, you know, far down the road when they might not see you again. And um, I can't thank you enough for joining us and um, the lead with empower podcast. And, and we're going to close off the episode in honoring uh, Sean's, friend and mentor and, and a, a gentleman that gave him that big opportunity with the otters. Uh, Mike, it's four years anniversary of him passing away suddenly. Um, but we're going to finish the episode with a hashtag rock the planet. And Sean's story is freaking phenomenal because I think he's doing just that. And I think everybody has the potential to do that. It's just believing in yourself, putting in the work and the effort and making those connections. So you have a support system when you need it. Sean Banks, general manager of the DC Breeze Ultimate Club. Sean, thank you so much, man. Appreciate it. Had a blast, Dan. Thanks for having me on. Great leadership may look and sound different. However, there are common threads that connect all tremendous leaders. They are passionate about those that they lead. They do that which brings out their best and the best in those around them. And they never take the easy way out because the exceptional will never come from easy.